to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. This is the 46th Psalm. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help when we're in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake, In the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of that city, and it shall not be moved. God will help the city when the morning dawns. The nations of the world are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. God's voice is heard, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come and behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations God has brought on the earth. God makes war cease to the ends of the earth. God breaks the bow and God shatters the spear. God burns all of the shields in fire. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. That's the word of God. It's for us, the people of God. We say, thanks be to God. Turn your eyes and your ears. So we use lots of words to talk about God, don't we? You know that all the words that we use to describe God, we make up? Like, they're totally made up. Like, the words that we use aren't God themselves, right? They're ideas about God. And the Bible is full of these poems that are words about what we think about God. I brought this today. I know it looks like a potato, but it's actually a rock. (laughs) But if I said God was a rock, do you think I think that God is like an actual rock? I actually don't think like this is my rock. And if I said God is my rock and this is my rock, then this is God? No, that's not what I mean at all. That's not it at all. But if I said God was like a rock, what would you think I meant by that? Like a friend? What do you think? 
very powerful. This rock is very powerful. It's heavy and solid, like strong. You know what? You know, there are rocks everywhere. So maybe I mean like God is everywhere. So there are so many words that we can use. And your ideas for what God is like can be poems. And like I said, the Bible is full of these kinds of poems. The one that we, that Pastor David just read, has some really cool God is like kind of ideas in it. But it made me think of this. And I want to see if you can see, guess what I might mean. If I said, God is like a pillow fort. (laughs) What would that be like? Have you guys ever made, anyone made a pillow fort ever before? Do you love making a pillow fort? It's the most amazing thing ever. What would I mean if I said, God is like a pillow fort? What do you think? Comforting. Yes, it's such a nice, warm, safe place to be. What do you think, Scarlett? I love pillow forts. I love God. What do you think, William? Soft. Yes, so cozy. What do you think? All around me. What a great way to think about it. Surrounding me. Absolutely. And it could be either one of those might be ways that I might describe God. So what I want you to think about today is what can you imagine God is like? And we're just going to take a moment to, just like the scripture said, to be still. And we can know God. How do you know God? What is God like? Like a baby? Sometimes. Did anybody come up with a good idea of what God is like? What do you think? Like a baby. (laughs) Yes? Powerful. What do you think of? Iron Man. I love that. God is like a superhero like a rose. Today we're going to hear a little bit about maybe God being like a river or maybe even God being a bridge over a river. That doesn't mean that we think God is a river or God is a bridge. It means we think all of these amazing things that we see in the world around us remind us of God's goodness. Thanks for coming up forward you guys today and you can roll up your carpets and put them back in the basket. If you're first grade and under, you can go to extended session or you can go back and sit with your families and friends. Thanks for being here. Let's put them in the basket. Don't touch my rock. Our theme this year as a church is being. We've been looking at a couple texts from the scripture that all focus on this idea of being. We've looked at three so far. We began with Exodus 3, the story of Moses at the burning bush, where God announces God's self as I am, right? God is being itself. And then we read Acts, the 17th chapter, where Paul is talking to the Athenians who don't yet know about God, and Paul says that in God, we live and move and have our being. Our being, we said, is in the being of God. 
And then we read Psalm 139 together. And that psalm says that everywhere we go, even if we try to go to the ends of the earth, everywhere that you are, God is already there. What I hope that you'll see in these passages of Scripture is that Scripture says that our being and God's being are intertwined. Your being, at its core, comes from and is nourished and is nurtured by the being of God. To know God's being, what it is, what it does, that is to know something about your being too. When the calendar turns to January, we're going to look at the being with us known as Jesus. But before we do that, there's one more passage from the Hebrew scriptures that I want us to consider. It's the 46th Psalm. It's the text that we just read that we draw this wonderful phrase, be still and know that I am God. Be still. So what comes to mind when you hear me say those words, be still? What comes to mind when you hear God saying those words to you, be still? For many of you, I bet those words come like a long-awaited invitation. Maybe the invitation to be still is like a door that opens into a room, and in that room there is a beautiful, comfortable chair, and beside the chair on the floor there's a pair of slippers just your size, and there's a cup of coffee on the table right next to it, steaming on the side table, and maybe even in that room there's a window that you can look out and see the slanting light of late autumn. Be still. It's an invitation to remove yourself deliberately from the vortex of the must-dos of your life and simply be present to yourself. It's a powerful invitation, be still. It's powerful because there is something about the rhythm of our day-to-day -day lives especially those of us who face the demands of work and the frailties of our bodies and raising kids on top of the stresses of the world around us, all of the anxieties that hover in the air. There's something about the rhythm of our life that is crazy-making. It is. Daily life doesn't afford us lots of opportunity to sit still. For some of you, I bet stillness feels like a guilty pleasure, like you have to steal it in order to take it. We all know that stillness is good. It helps us regulate our bodies and our spirits. And I hope that all of you find time in those rhythms of your day-to-day -day lives to be still. 
And yet, and yet stillness itself doesn't heal us. Taking time to slow down doesn't automatically make all things better. Now, some of you, as I look out and see your faces, I know that some of you have made contemplation and stillness part of your regular spiritual practice. Those of you who have done this, you know full well that stopping and being still is just the first step on the journey. You can stop your body, but what keeps moving? Yeah, your mind, it keeps moving even though your body stays still. And in fact, the stillness of your body makes the motion of your mind even more apparent. Try it this week. Try sitting still for about two minutes or so and just count the number of unique thoughts that come into your head. If you get to 20, you're probably about normal. If you get to 50, we should probably have a conversation. Our minds, these beautiful, meaning-making organs, these lumps of tissue that are the seat of our consciousness and also our identity, they are always moving, they're always searching, they're always trying to find our way out of places of pain, they're always trying to find a way away from threat, we're always assessing the world around us, what people might be thinking about us, what it was that we just said, what we just did, what we must yet do. We're always searching. With our brains always in motion, being still with your thoughts can be actually kind of uncomfortable. It's why we all reach for our devices all the time. We'd rather let our minds be tickled by the game that we were playing or the social media scrolling than be alone with the vagaries of our frenetic brains. There's lots of ancient wisdom that you can draw on for stillness. Hard-earned tips and tricks that have come to us over the years for even the most restless of minds, a prayer word that you repeat again and again to keep you focused, paying attention to the ins and outs of your breathing can help, or maybe using an icon to focus your eyes in a soft gaze, or even beads to occupy your hands. Even with all of these strategies to keep our minds from running away from us, those of us who spend hours and hours and years upon years in the practice of stillness, we still rarely master it. So some of you might ask, if we never really master stillness, in the end, what's the point of being still? I mean, why not just go on autopilot? Why not just 
work ourselves to the bone? Why not be a slave to our compulsions? Why not just be the flawed human animal that we are, flicking through our phones, catastrophizing about the world, flirting with conspiracy theories to manage our chaos? Why not just be anxious and obsessed and fidgety until we die? Be still, the psalmist says. Let's look closely at the psalm. The psalm is clear that the world around us is falling apart. Or at least that's what the metaphorical language of the psalm suggests. That's how the world appears to us. Whether it is or not is another story, but it looks like it is. It feels like it's falling apart. The psalm begins with a focus on chaos in the natural world. The mountains themselves are shaking. The waters of the sea are roaring and foaming. The images are of earthquakes and floods. The earth and the sea are violently trying to reject the human inhabitants. But that's not all that's in upheaval in the landscape of Psalm 46. It's the rulers of the nations, too, who are the cause of chaos. Imagine that, huh? The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms themselves are tottering. The psalm says that the violence of our politics can feel just like an earthquake or a flood. The harm to human well-being caused by a megalomaniacal leader is just like that of a natural disaster. So the world feels like it's falling apart. But the message of the psalm is that no matter what the world around us feels like, your being is safe. God is there. When the mountains are shaking, or when the politicians are shaking their fists, when your mind starts its racing and its catastrophizing, God is your refuge. Refuge is a funny word. A refuge is a place of protection. It's a hiding place, a pillow fort. It's a place where you feel strong. Martin Luther, when he reflected on this psalm and he wrote a song about it, said, a mighty fortress is our God. There is a place where you are safe. But when you read the psalm, it's funny, right? The psalmist does not describe a fortress, a, a, a big walled fort. The psalmist does not describe a hiding place, a place with thick walls, with a door that we lock and, 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 and to behind us and a, a, a gate that swings closed. The safe place. The safe place, the psalmist says, is 
a community. It's right there in the psalm. It's called the city of God. Now, in the context of the scripture writers, this is Zion. This is the city of Jerusalem. But see, I know that we're allowed to expand our sense of exactly where this refuge is located, where this city, where this community actually is. The place of safety, the community of refuge can't be a particular city. After all, the psalmist insists with utter clarity that there is a river whose streams flow through this city, and I've never been there, but I know for a fact there ain't no river in Jerusalem. This city is in our imagination. Like the rest of the psalm, the image of the city of God is an evocative metaphor for us, ready for us to take and place it right in the middle of your own life. The city of God is a community where God's life-giving love flows like a river. A community of people where God's compassionate spirit is felt as a living presence. A body of human beings where mutual aid and friendship and mercy move between us and connect us to God and connect us to each other. God is in the midst of that city. No matter what happens Around us, the community of God shall not be moved. The commandment to be still can be interpreted as an invitation into silence. But I also read it as something bigger. I read it as an invitation to take stock of where you are in the world. Where is your being located? Do you know and are you known by the people around you? Is your life feeding others? And are you fed in turn by them? When the world feels chaotic, when the mountains are shaking and the politicians shake their fists, do you know your way back to the river that makes glad the community of God? The river of love where all of us, together, are home. Be still. Be here. Let the church say, Amen.